Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Word of God. So if y'all will indulge me, grab your Bibles or your devices, your laptops, whatever it is that contains the word of God. Man, it's so good to see so many of y'all in the room today. Go to Acts chapter six. We're in the the New Testament, we're going to be in Acts, and once you get to Acts, we're going to start in Acts chapter 6. As you turn there real quick, uh, I really am excited about our fourth Wednesday uh, night prayer and Bible study. As always, we like to highlight prayer and Bible study, and so this is a time where we get to come together to pray corporately. How many know that praying by yourself is, is good? You should. The Bible calls us to, men to always pray, and so we, we should pray by ourselves. There's something beautiful about corporate prayer and coming together to pray together as a body and typically how we do that on Wednesday nights is there's about a half an hour at 7 o'clock to 7.30. We usually have kind of like a quiet space for you to come in. And honestly, the posture of prayer can be anything. You could be on your knees. You could be, you could be sitting up. You could be walking around the room. Uh, we've had it before where people just kind of lay out. I don't know if we'll do it here. We did it at Fulton Street. We had carpet. But people lay out. Whatever, whatever the posture is, God receives our prayer, um, however we do that. But one of the things we're going to do slightly differently this Wednesday is at seven o'clock, I'm going to kind of kick us off with a prayer and then we're going to do like we did at the fast. I really was moved by that Tuesday night. We were together praying in our, in our prayer service. We had a couple mics set up around the, around the stage and you guys just came up and prayed and I was so encouraged by that. Um, so we'll do that on Wednesday from seven to seven 30. It'd be open mic night for prayer, not testimonies. This ain't the time for you to do your, your sermonette. This, this ain't the time for devotion. <laughs> It's his prayer. And so we're going to have some mic set up and you guys can come up and just and pray. So we'll do that for about half an hour and then we'll worship. And then I want to teach. I'm excited. I'll have you out by nine. I really want to teach on the topic of miracles. What are they? Thank you for singing that song, uh, worship team. But talk about what are miracles? Um, Do they still happen? Are they as prevalent as they were in the scripture? Um, We're going to talk about um, the difference between what, what the scripture says about what's called continuationism or sensationism, has, have the gifts uh, of, of the spirit, uh, particularly the miracles, have they ceased? Have they stopped with the death of the last apostle? Where, where do we land? So I'm excited to teach on Wednesday. Uh, seven o'clock is not that time. And Piff, I'm going to just be real with y'all. You know, y'all be late, like, like late, late, like not late. Y'all be late, late. So we could be here at seven o'clock together. I, I know some people are coming from work, so I'm, I'm being facetious. But if you could get here by seven, we will fill up this room and we'll pray together and then we'll get in the word. Is that all right? All right. Finally, um, Really two more things. Number one, I just want to quickly mention the 20 and 23 uh, budget campaign that I've shared with you guys in December. Um, I expressed a financial need uh, in the church and, and um, I shared with you how we were below budget in 2022 by 23%. And so that, that caused some disruption in how we were able to do things and we had to be a little tighter and more conservative with uh, some of that, uh, some of our resources. I promise you, that's not why we don't have doors yet, though. I promise y'all, that's not why uh, we run. <laughs> we we're trying to figure that that out, but we'll have those soon. But um, uh, 23 and 23 is is us basically saying whatever it is that God has laid on your heart to give. Would you consider being a little bit more sacrificial and giving 23 more percent? That that's what we're asking. So if you give ten dollars and that's you're giving out of your means and that's sacrificial to you, praise God. What we say, what we would say is if you could give 23 more percent, if all of us did it, we would meet budget. We would exceed budget because, you know, we serve a God that does exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. And so instead of giving ten dollars, if you gave twelve dollars and thirty cents, but all of us did it. Now, don't everybody give ten dollars, but whatever it is that God puts on your heart to give, if you would consider 23 more percent, it would be huge. Now, I know some of you, I know what you're doing. I feel it. Oh, here you go. They go that past the one that asked for money. I, I have no issue asking for money for two reasons. Number one, it is one of the fruits of the gospel because I don't think we understand like the gospel has major impact. And a lot of times we think the gospel is the thing that we come to hear, but we never consider that the gospel is the thing that we go and do. And so how do we do the gospel? Well, we do that through discipleship. We, we do that through evangelism of sharing of our faith, we, which we'll talk about today. And we do that through generosity. That's the first reason I'm not scared to ask you all for money uh, is because uh, it is honestly, it's me calling you to live out the gospel. The second reason is because I personally, and I'm not 
I'm not making this up. I'm so genuine when I say this. I love being sacrificial to God. Like, you know why? Because God was sacrificial to me. And the old saints would say, you can't beat God's giving. And so I want to do my best to um, be sacrificial to the Lord because he has been faithful. The money in my bank account ain't mine anyway. So it's, it, it's, it's nothing for me to say, well, God, what do you want? What, what can I give of you? You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But God loves a come on. Y'all know the word. God loves a cheerful giver. So he don't want you to just give. He cares about your attitude when you give. The Bible says that he loves a cheerful giver. So if I can just encourage you guys, and if you haven't given anything and you don't, you know, you don't, you don't give of your resources and, you, you know, you kind of hold them tight. If I'm being honest, by nature, I'm a stingy person. I'm just being honest. Jair, you was honest up here, my brother. And I, man, God bless that brother. Come on, let's give some love for Jair, man. God is doing something with this dude, man. And um, by nature, I think I'm a, I'm a stingy person, but when the gospel gets a hold of your life, it causes even the stingy to be generous. Exodus 35 talks about how the people had generous hearts, and I pray that that would be the case in here. I'm on this point too long. Y'all got it. We need it. Give it. Is that, is that, are we good? We good? All right. All right. Cool. All right. We're in Acts chapter six. Um, also, really quickly, Chris, where are you at? There he is, Chris Louis John. I got to give the whole name. Um, but yeah, Chris, Chris is over. He's our, um, our community life uh, team leader, director, and uh, he's the one that's helping us to form our, um, our small groups. Small groups is the lifeline of community. If you're trying to figure out, well, how do I, how do I get involved? Small groups is a, is a great starter. So we're starting those up in February, February 13th. Um, he expressed to me earlier this week that we need more uh, leaders. Um, and so if you're interested in leading or hosting, there is a link that you can click on the website, on the events page, and he'll get that information and he will reach out to you. We're going to have as many small groups as we have leaders and we have hosts. And so, um, yeah, it's something that the Lord has called us to. All right. Acts chapter six. Y'all good? We there? Come on. Y'all talk back to me. We there? All right, so listen, we're going to start in Acts 6, but I got to be honest with y'all, just keep your finger in Acts 6 because it's kind of the foundation. I'm not even going to like expositionally walk through this. I just want to grab some stuff out, but then we're going to kind of work our way all the way through the book of Acts, and we won't be here all day, but there's just some stuff in here that I think is important, and we will bounce around. So I said put your finger there. Y'all all got devices, so just click and click and click and click and click, uh, like we on Instagram and TikTok and we scrolling. All right, verse 1. It says, now these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose, the, uh, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, meaning the disciples slash the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom. Whom we, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen. Somebody say Stephen. Now pay attention to the description that it gives about Stephen. A man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Procurius and Nicanor and Timon or Timon. And Parmenas and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. Let me say that again. Please pay attention to verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many disciples, a great many priests became obedient to the faith. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Ordinary People. I feel my John Legend coming on today. <laughs> Ordinary people is what we're going to talk about. Can we look to the Lord before we dig in? Uh, Father, we are fully anticipating that you're going to speak to us today. We thank you, oh God, that when we open up this word, we get led into your very heart, the very mind of you. And so, Father, we, we don't take this moment lightly. 
This is not the moment where, where, where we check our emails and we scroll on social media. This is the moment where we get to hear from you. And so, Father, we, we thank you for the ability to hear. We thank you that you speak. So, Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would speak because your servants are listening today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ordinary people. So uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the book of Acts is, is 28 chapters long. And if you pay attention to the um, really the rhythms of the book of Acts, the title was so important. So there are really two different titles for the book of Acts. First, you get exactly what I just said, the book of Acts, which most of us, I think we're, we commonly refer to this book as the book of Acts. But there is another title for this book, and that's the Acts of the Apostles. If you look at the, the, the inscription above, I don't know what version you're reading, but I'm reading from the ESV version. It says the Acts of the Apostles, which is another name for uh, the book of Acts. Now, normally I have a, you know, a nice little story I can, I can package at the beginning, package at the beginning to kind of launch the sermon off of. I ain't got nothing today. If y'all don't mind, can I just jump right in? I think we have to define when it says the Acts of the Apostles, it is important for us to define what is an apostle. Can somebody ask your boy that question? What is an apostle? I'm, I'm glad you asked. In the New Testament, there's really two different, there's two different titles, I would say, for an apostle. Now, pay attention here because this really is important. Uh, first is the title apostle, which is given to specific men who walked with Jesus on some certain level. Now, let me say it this way. That doesn't just mean the 12 disciples. That, 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 that means the 12 disciples plus others that Jesus had called to be apostles in the early church. For example, Paul is not, an, Paul is not a disciple of Jesus, but he is an apostle. Barnabas is not a disciple of Jesus, but he is an apostle according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Apollos is not a direct disciple of Jesus, but he is absolutely an apostle in the early church. And so the, the first, I guess, uh, title you would have for an apostle means it in the specific sense that they are called. It is a specific um, uh, office within the early church. There are many people that will try to resurrect this title and use it here in 2023. But if I can be honest with you, biblically, it is impossible to have the title as apostle today. Let me put it this way. Listen, I'm your, some of your pastors in this room, most of the room. I'm your pastor, but I am not apostle Brandon Watts. Let me just be very clear. And why, do, why is that? I can only be an apostle if I've lived 2,000 years, and if I've been an eyewitness to the resurrection of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there is very specific calling to an apostle and you have to have certain requirements. And I feel old, but I don't feel 2,000 years old. And I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And yes, I've been to the tomb, but I wasn't there during that time. And so this idea of apostle, yes, it is a title, but it is also uh, apostolic in movement, in, in function. And so uh, apostle, the second way it's used throughout the New Testament and specifically in the book of Acts is in the general sense. So an apostle, uh, according to uh, Greek, it literally means the sent out ones. So according to the general sense, everybody in this room, let me look at every section, every one of you that have trusted in Jesus, we're all apostles. You may not be an apostle in terms of title, but you should be an apostle in terms of function because apostle simply means the one who is sent out, a missionary, an evangelist, an ambassador, one who carries and preaches the good news. And sometimes when we talk about missions and missionary, we think we can only do that when we've taken a flight somewhere and went on a mission trip. But if you got lost people on your job, you got lost people in your family. You got lost people in your building. You got lost people in that group chat. We should be ambassadors for Christ. We should be apostles for Jesus Christ. It's a reason why we end every service with John 20, 21. Just as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Because in the sending out, we come in here to be filled up. And in the sending out, we begin to walk in what's called an apostolic anointing. I need somebody that is Pentecostal to say amen right there. Amen. An apostolic anointing. And so when you read 
this inscription that says the Acts of the Apostles, I would beg you not to only look at Peter. I would beg you not to only look at Paul. I would beg you not to only look at Barnabas, but can we also today look at the ordinary people? Because the movement of the mission of God in the books of Acts mostly uh, flourished through regular, degular people. Ordinary. And you know what happens is a lot of times we think we can only really get on mission if I bring somebody to the church to hear the professional. But you should be the professional. And that doesn't mean you got to be up here today preaching with your Bible open and you got to have a sermon clip, you know, with some dope beats behind it. That, that simply means that everywhere you go, you ought to carry this good news of the gospel of Christ. Because all of us in this room are ambassadors, ordinary people. Now, let me give some quick context and then, then we'll kind of work through some stuff. A quick context in Acts chapter six. There was a problem in the, in the early church. In fact, there's been such unity since the birthing of the church in Acts chapter 2. For four chapters, they've been, they've been good. And the gospel has been flourishing. But finally, there arises an issue, which tells me every local church has issues in it. I just want to be clear, because some of y'all, you know, got that, oh, this is a perfect utopia. The devil is a liar. This is not a perfect utopia. You stay here long enough, and we light you up, too, and we don't mean to. But all of us, every local church has... It, Anytime you get sinners in a room, if this church was me and two other people, we'd have mess because we are all messy. And so in the early church, there was a mess that was brewing. What was the mess? The widows were being overlooked in the distribution. There was some type of daily giving out of food or bread or, or resources, and the widows were being overlooked. And so some of the people started to complain. And what do the apostles do? The apostles are so dope. They say, you know what? We shouldn't give up preaching the word of God to wait tables. By the way, nobody said who they think they are, why they can't serve tables. Everybody in the early church understood that all of us have a responsibility, but Ashton, we ain't got the same responsibility. And this is why I rejoice when I look at the people that are standing outside welcoming you. You walked in today, somebody should have greeted you. And what happens is we think the person that is greeting has less responsibility than the person that's singing worship. We think the person that's behind the camera right now has less responsibility than the person preaching. But if I understand Acts chapter six, right, verse number seven says that the gospel begin to flourish and the number of the disciples increased it greatly. And we give credit to the apostles for preaching. But do you know who I give credit to? The seven men that work the tables because it is in the working of the tables where the gospel started. That means when you walked in and somebody said good morning, the gospel didn't start when I started preaching. The gospel started when, you, when they gave you a good morning. That, that means these men and these, these women that are behind the camera and those that are doing lights, Brittany up there doing lights and, and, and doing sound and y'all don't even see the tech people in the tech room making sure that this thing is going out through live stream right now. There are people watching your children right now. I need a parent to say Amen. There is somebody right now watching your children and this ain't romper room. They're sitting up there getting the gospel themselves. Why? Because it's a joint effort for us to make sure that we are communicating the gospel and the mission to move forward. And if I can just get you on mission, if I can just get you to believe that your responsibility as a Christian is not to come in and just sit down. What is that? Our responsibilities as Christians is to be partakers because God never saved you so that you could sit the bench. He put you in the team to be dunking. He, he, he needs you in the team scoring because all of us together make up this idea of mission because all of us are just ordinary people. Now, in Acts chapter seven, they, Acts chapter six, they select uh, seven deacons. I'm not going to deal with deacons today. We will deal with that at another time because we actually need to appoint deacons this year. So we're going to deal with that later. But I do want to highlight one person that is mentioned, Stephen. Somebody say Stephen. The Bible says here in verse number five that he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I love this because Stephen is a regular, ordinary person. He is not an apostle. But he is empowered with the Holy Spirit. He's a man full of faith. And that didn't make him feel like, you know what? Let me get up and preach today. You know what it made him do? It empowered him to serve. It empowered him to wait the tables. It empowered him to free up the apostles so that they can give themselves to the prayer and to the preaching of the word of God. And that, that's what my hope is, is that all of us would figure out what it is that we do.
and what it is, how, what part do we play and how are we able to move the mission of God forward by what we do? I don't think we think like that. Because most of us think I'm just going to church and I can check that, you know, that box off. Write this down. I'm going to say it at least three or four times. So if you miss it this first time, I'll say it again. It's really, this is not profound, but it is profound. Ordinary people have the ability to move the mission of God forward. Let me say that again. Ordinary people have the ability to move the mission of God forward. So they said, let's select Stephen as an ordinary person. And guess what? Stephen flourishes. But not only Stephen is selected. If we do kind of, you know, let's just kind of dance through the book of Acts. Stephen ain't the only one selected. He's not the only ordinary person that God uses. Can y'all go to Acts chapter eight real quick? Now, I'm not going to I'll come back to it. Let, Let me come back to it at the end. Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, Stephen is killing the game. He's killing the game. People are getting saved because Stephen is on his, on his A game. But then Stephen is stoned, for, by the way, for being faithful to the gospel. Stephen is stoned at the end of Acts chapter 7. Now watch what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and Saul approved of his, meaning Stephen's, execution. And there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Jump down to verse number four. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Can you please pay attention to what happened? They're they're stoned. Stephen is stoned. It says that the the ordinary people were scattered. When they were scattered, they went about preaching the gospel. It says Philip went down to Samaria And proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And they heard him and they saw signs of what he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. So now we're introduced to another ordinary person named Philip. Now, please notice Philip's not an apostle. Philip is a regular, or in fact, Philip is given the title in chapter 21, which is 20 years later, he's given the title of Philip the Evangelist, Philip the Ambassador, the, the regular, this is a regular person. Now, I read something real fast because I wanted you to miss it. I know that that's, that seems anticlimactic, but I read it fast because I wanted you to miss it. But now I'm going to read it back slower because I want us to see the ordinary people in the text. In verse one, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. There arose that day a great persecution against Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Here it is, except the apostles. Don't miss what is happening. So all of the ordinary people scatter. The apostles with the authority in the local church stayed in Jerusalem while they were mourning Stephen. But even though they stayed in Jerusalem, the gospel didn't stay in Jerusalem. Because the ordinary people said, wherever we are scattered, we're going to preach this gospel. Did you notice verse four said they went about preaching the gospel? And a lot of times y'all think that the preaching only happens in this little 40 moments that I got. But I want to argue today that the preaching happens on Monday when you get to work. I want to argue that the, the family members that God has put you in that family should hear the gospel and you should be preaching it to them. I, I told you all this before, but all of us in this room have a mass ordination today and all of you online. Everybody's ordained to preach the gospel because when I read this text, I realize that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But the gospel didn't. The word of God continued to flourish except the apostles Why? Because ordinary people went scattered because ordinary people have the ability to move the mission of God forward. Can I move ahead a little bit? In Acts chapter eight, there's another ordinary person. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. Go go to Acts chapter eight. Oh, you're in Acts chapter eight. Go to verse 35. Y'all with me? Y'all making me do a lot of heavy lifting and y'all are quiet today. In verse 35, now watch this. This is an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, everybody knows what an Ethiopian is. is I hope you know what a eunuch is because I just, I don't got the time to kind of walk through what a eunuch is today. Google it. Google it. Right. There will be no sermon illustration on that today. Verse 35, look at what it says here. It says, then Philip, again, regular person, ordinary person, opened his mouth. And beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And they were going down along a road and there came some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, notice what happens here. There's a regular person that is riding in a chariot called an Ethiopian eunuch. Don't even know his name. He's riding in a chariot. He's reading Isaiah 53. And the Bible says that Philip, not an apostle, ordinary person, hears him, jumps up in his chariot and says, let me explain uh, 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 Isaiah 53, which, by the way, is dope because Philip doesn't have to go. Oh, I got to preach the gospel to him. Let me give him my favorite passage. Wherever you are reading is where I'm going to show you Jesus, which shows me Jesus is in all of Scripture. So then he, he, he starts to talk to him about the gospel. It says he opens his mouth. He begins, uh, he, opens, he opens his mouth, reads him the scriptures and shows him the good news about Jesus. He gets saved. How do I know he gets saved? Because he gets baptized. And after he gets baptized, he now goes back to Ethiopia. Now, the Ethiopian church historically roots the gospel flourishing in Ethiopia back to Acts chapter 8. Now, can I encourage the black folk in the room for a second, just for a second here? Pay attention to this, because when I was going to school, Western theologians told me that the first non-Jew to get saved was Cornelius. But Cornelius don't get saved until Acts chapter 10. The first non-Jew to get saved in the book of Acts is a black Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes back to Ethiopia and he would have shared his faith. And he, by the way, he's a high ranking official in the court of Candace, which means he would have had access to make sure that the gospel was flourishing. Don't miss what is happening. God is using a ordinary person, not an apostle, not an elder, not a bishop, not an overseer, not a chief apostle. He's using a regular ordinary person and that's how the gospel began to flourish in that part of the world can we go to can we go to the Antioch church y'all gonna get this work today (laughs) go to chapter 11 real quick we just in Acts, y'all in chapter 11 watch what happens the Antioch church is birthed in Acts chapter 11 but when it is birthed you would think it was birthed through the apostles it wasn't this is this messes me up. Verse 12 says, and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered into a man's house. If you understand the context of Antioch, Antioch got started by a group of people that you just did not get their name. It says, I love the text. These six men, these six brothers, we don't even know their names. You know why? Because God delights to move the mission forward with Thank you for listening. Ordinary people is what God delights to you. Six, these six brothers. And by the way, Antioch Church is pivotal to the rest of the New Testament because Antioch is the church that laid hands on Paul. And after Paul and Barnabas gets hands laid on them, you and I get 75% of the New Testament because the Antioch Church. The Antioch Church is, 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 is uh, uh, planted by six brothers that we don't even know who they are. What about the church at Rome? We give Paul a lot of credit for Rome because he wrote 16 chapters. Do you know Paul didn't plant the church at Rome? But Paul was almost obnoxiously obsessed with going to Rome. Go to Acts 28. Acts 28, Acts 28. In Acts 28, Paul is obsessed with going to Rome. And by the way, him going to Rome, it wasn't an easy trip. If you look at his missionary journey, he suffered beatings. He said often to death. He was shipwrecked, and one time he floated on a plank from being shipwrecked, got there, made a fire, and got bit by a snake. Like, did, like first of all, I would have gave up. I'd have been like, you know what? I done floated on a plank, Lord. You're not going to cause a snake to bite me, too. But all of this happens, and Paul is obsessed with getting to Rome. He gets to Rome, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to plant the church, but watch what happens when he gets there. Verse 14, there we found brothers. And we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. So in other words, there were already uh, uh, people of God, believers there that were priming the the pump to start the church at Rome. And you and I would be like, this is the Acts of the Apostles. This is how Paul planted Rome. No, Paul didn't plant Rome. Paul came there and the gospel was already flourishing. And you don't even know their names, these brothers. Ordinary people. If I can just convince this room That's my one thesis is to convince all of us that we are all ordinary people 
that have a responsibility to move the mission of God forward. And you don't have to do so by being up here on a Sunday morning. I believe that God wants to move the mission forward by whatever it is that you do. Whatever gifting he put in you. Well, whatever places you dwell, the places you go, there's not an atmosphere you should go in that you don't bring Jesus. I just, if you tell me you can come in, but you can't bring Jesus, then you don't want me. Because all of who I am is Jesus. So when I, when I show up, you better believe I'm, I'm speaking, I'm talking about Jesus. Now, here's what we're going to do with the remainder of our time. I got three convictions. Now that we kind of see the, the movement of the book of Acts was really fueled by ordinary, regular people. What I want to do is give you three convictions, three convictions that should really set you on fire. Number one, and these aren't profound either, y'all. Number one, first conviction, they're going to show up on the screen. God delights to use all of us. See, I know we don't believe that, and I know that wasn't profound, but it really was, y'all, because you got to understand that you are not, you're not plan B. The mission of God, you're plan A. This is, this, is, this is the plan. This is, you know, this is the hud. Like, it's like we on a football game and we all huddled up. The, the play that he's calling is you. It's, it's you. It's me. It's all of us in this room collectively coming together, realizing we're going to reach the world through ordinary people. But he doesn't reach the world through the Pope. He's not reaching the world through the, through the charismatic preacher, you know, with the cufflinks on that got a, a, a nice social media. He's not reaching the world through, through, through the mother with the prayer cloth. He's reaching the world through you with cut-ups on. He's reaching, the, he's reaching the world through you with your stiletto nails. He's reaching the world through you. And if we could just believe that, that God wants to do something with me, if you think that you got in that relationship just to get into the relationship, or you got in that marriage just to get to that marriage, or you walking through singleness and purity just to walk through singleness and purity, no, it is an opportunity to show forth the glory of God. That's why we do it. Everything about me has to, has to spell Jesus' name. Everything. Because what God does is he uses ordinary people that go to ordinary places with the extraordinary gospel. That's, take that down. He uses ordinary people that go to ordinary places. But when you go in, you are going with the extraordinary gospel. When I read through the book of Acts, do you know that he uses business, commerce, and ordinary people more than he uses an apostolic strategy? Like, listen, your boy likes strategy. Our, our staff meetings are no less than two hours. We're trying, we trying to back that down a little bit. But they know, you know why? Because we're trying to strategize and we're trying to structure and we're trying to, you know, let's think through this and let's think through this. And what are people when they, you know, thinking when they walk in? And, what are they, and we're going through all this stuff. But at some point, we got to stop the strategy because the New Testament church didn't flourish by the apostles sitting up in the room strategizing. It flourished because people was getting saved and then being on fire for Jesus Christ, if I can get you to believe it. Ordinary people business, commerce, regular people that God is using in order to flourish the very gospel. What I love about this room, and those of you who are online, what I love about this room is that this room is filled up of entrepreneurs. This room is filled up of very gifted people. There are people in this room that are actors. There are people in this room that are in the fashion industry. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious when I say this. There, I was talking to a, a young man, I don't know if he's in the room, uh, Martel. I actually call him the mayor of fashion because he just know everybody. I needed something on Saturday. I'm like, yo, yo, I, I got to do this and I, I need this. And he's like, oh, I got you. He connected me and worked it all out. There are people that have influence. Some of y'all are in tech. Some of y'all are in education. And by education, I mean your principals, your teachers, your social workers, your deans at school. Some of y'all work in restaurants. Shoot. Some of y'all own restaurants, and I mean good restaurants. I'm serious. There, there are some of you that are entrepreneurs and you just started a business. There are some of you that, that cut hair and, 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 and do hair and do nails and do braids, and you're in cosmetology, and you're an esthetician, and you, I mean, we got, I'm serious, we got all of these, but what if God gave you that gift, not just to secure the bag? What if he gave you the gift to secure the bag and secure the kingdom. Because I ain't asking you to replace it. I don't believe in the poverty gospel. Secure the bag, baby. But while you're securing the bag, secure the kingdom. 
Ordinary people is what God delights to use. That's what he built his kingdom off of. Ordinary people going to ordinary places with an extraordinary gospel. Consider that gift that you have. I was so over time in the first service. and I said I was going to do it this service, but I'm, y'all give me a few more minutes. I got to work through this. C- consider this. What if, what if God said, let's just do the last year. What if God said, I gave you this gift. I gave you this platform. Now I need you to report back to me and tell me, who got saved because you did that? What, does, what line of disciples are behind you? Who, 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 like who, who grew in their faith because of you? What addiction was broke because of you? What stronghold came down because you walked in with Jesus? If we would think like that, all of our life, our, our, our vocation, vocational life would change. Because I don't, you can't compartmentalize Christianity. You can't be Jesus on Sunday and something else on Monday and something else on Tuesday. Gospel-centeredness means he's everything, every day, all day. Ordinary people going to ordinary places with an extraordinary gospel. Some of you are waiting for that warm and fuzzy feeling to actually get on mission. Do you know that the calling happened the moment you got saved? I'm, I'm serious when I say the moment you gave your life to the Lord, You were set on mission. Let's go back to Paul for a second. Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9. When he gets saved, the moment he gets saved, he also gets commissioned. Not another chapter. The moment he gets saved, Jesus is like, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. Go out. Go be on mission. And so all of you in here that are waiting for that that goosebump moment, it happens when you get saved. Now you're on mission. That's why we don't have an evangelism department in the church. You know why we don't have an evangelism ministry? Because all of us are evangelists. Now, I believed in the gift of evangelism, which means that maybe you have a gifting to to be an evangelist. I know some of you do. I would say you should teach us, but that doesn't mean a specific ministry because all of us should be on mission. I'm going to read this real quick. 1 Corinthians 1. Watch the type of people God calls to be on mission. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to confound the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world. God chose ordinary people. Somebody say ordinary people. And us being ordinary people, when God puts his gifting in you, it does put you before good men and great men and great platforms. Proverbs 22 talks about that. Proverbs 22 says, do you see a man of of skillful work? He will stand before kings. Here's my question to the room. When you get the opportunity to stand before kings, what you doing with the opportunity, boo-boo? Are you, are you talking Jesus? Are you, does your life reflect Jesus? Or do we conform to the world in that moment? <sighs> okay, you're making me work. All right, let's go back real quick. So first, first conviction, God delights to use all of us, everybody in the room. Second conviction to God using ordinary people is the Holy Spirit empowers us. Now, this doesn't seem profound, but go back to Acts chapter 6 real quick. In Acts chapter 6, I just need you to see how many times Stephen gets tagged with, filled with the Spirit. Like, over and over again. In verse number, in verse number 3, it says, pick out from you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit. Okay, jump to verse number five. And number five, it says, and Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Jump to verse number 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit that was in, that he was speaking in, talking about um, uh, uh, Stephen. I, I fill up Stephen. Now go to Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven, again, watch how much he's filled with the spirit. Acts chapter seven, verse 55. It says, but he, full of the spirit, gazed into the heavens and saw the glory of God. Look at verse number 59. And they were astonished and they were stoning Stephen, but he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All of us in here that have trusted in Jesus got the spirit of God living in us. And and because he lives in you, that means you are now empowered to go out and be an apostle, the sent one. But let me say it this way. I just need you to believe that the spirit is in you. Because... I think, you know, we treat the Holy Spirit like he's some stepchild of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. So in other words, God lives inside of you. And that's crazy to me that God himself decided that he would dwell inside of me. You know, in John chapter 16, 
Jesus says something so crazy. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, I cannot send the helper, the Holy Spirit. But then he says, but if I do go away, he will come to you. Now, don't miss what Jesus is just saying. That would have been absurd to the average Jew. What do you mean it's better to have the Holy Spirit than you? Like, think about this. What could be better than Jesus being here with us right now? Can you imagine that? If Jesus was here right now, I would take this headset off, put it on him. I, I wouldn't even sit down. I would sit somewhere around here and just listen. All of us would, we would be so much more impacted if Jesus was preaching today. What if Jesus was the pastor of Epiphany Church? I would be like, yes and amen. I would. Because who could pastor any local church better than Jesus? Okay, that's not hitting y'all. Let me get out of ministry for a second. Because I could have gone down a list, man. Sometimes I have theological questions. I'm like, if I go home and it was a long day of, of ministry and I got a heavy theological question, if Jesus is there, I can ask him. But let me come down your road just a little bit. What about that one person on your job that you like? Yo, I know she possessed with a demon. I know it. I know it. Can you imagine bringing Jesus to work and be like, it's her, Lord. <laughs> cast it out. And Jesus cast it out. All right, let me go. This is a young room. Can you imagine being at a party? And they run out of drinks. And Jesus is like, go ahead, keep the Prosecco going. Can you imagine that? It'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. What could be better than Jesus being with us here right now? Watch what Jesus says. It's better that I'm not. Because if I'm not here, then the Holy Spirit lives within you. So don't miss this. What's better than God being with us, a.k.a. Jesus, is God being in us, the Holy Spirit. That's what's better. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit lives in all of us, but some of us are spiritually deaf and we're not hearing him and he speaks. I don't know what song y'all was singing, but y'all was singing about how the Holy Spirit speaks and how he's speaking. He is speaking. We just don't listen. Do you know 59 times in the New Testament, the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit is there 39 of the 59 times he's speaking. 39 times in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit just talking. See, some of y'all last week when I said, man, I heard the Holy Spirit say when I walked in, y'all was like, oh, I don't know what kind of theology is this. When I read Acts, the Holy Spirit speaks and you got the spiritual insight. You can hear what he's saying to you. That those who hear, hear what the Lord is saying to the church. And I just, I want us to believe that the Holy Spirit actually lives. Can I go deeper with this idea of the Holy Spirit? Consider this. In Matthew 11. Jesus says that John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of a woman. And then he goes on, because we stopped there. We were like, John the Baptist was killing it. He goes on and says, but the least of the kingdom is greater than he. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. He says John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of a woman, but the least, the ordinary people that are in the kingdom are going to be greater than John the Baptist. How, Sway? Y'all know Sway had the answers? I didn't know that. Don't miss this. How, how, does, how does John the Baptist, how, how am I greater as, a, as an ordinary person than John the Baptist? I mean, I didn't baptize Jesus. John the Baptist did. I didn't prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist did. And even Jesus, and that's his cousin. Even Jesus is like, yo, y'all greater than my cousin. Do you know why you're greater than than John the Baptist? Here's why. Because when John the Baptist did ministry, he did ministry with the residential Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit uh, uh, empowered him to do ministry. And then when it was done, the Holy Spirit would go away. Because the Holy Spirit before Acts 2 did not reside and stay. But it would come and go and come and go and come and go. But you and I have the benefit of the Holy Spirit living in you permanently because Acts 2 says that the Holy Spirit fell and when it fell the those who have trusted in Jesus have been empowered with the Holy Spirit so you're not just filled you're empowered all the time every day 24 7 if I can just get you to believe that ordinary people can do great things because the Holy Spirit lives within us I'm going to move on from this point conviction one God delights to use all of us Conviction two, the Holy Spirit empowers us. And then finally, not that deep, conviction number three, ordinary people can look like Jesus. Look at Acts chapter seven. So I'll end here. This is how Stephen ends his life. Stephen is doing amazing ministry, but then 
His amazing ministry gets him into trouble and he gets stoned. But as he's getting stoned, it is what he says that shows me he wants to look like Jesus. Watch what he says in verse 59. And they were stoning Stephen and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse number 60, and falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold their sins against them. Who that sound like? He, he says two things here. He says, receive my spirit. And then the second thing he says is, don't hold their sins against them. There was another man on the cross that when he got on the cross, he said the exact same thing and he preceded Stephen. So in other words, when Stephen was dying, he wanted to look like Jesus. And I don't want you to wait for your death to look like Jesus. He did it in his death. We can do it with our life. Right here, right now, whatever it is that you do, you can look like Jesus and we should look like him. Well, B, you got to talk to me about how Jesus looked. You know how Jesus looked as a missionary? You know how Jesus looked as an apostle? Jesus looked like an ambassador. In fact, Jesus gives his mission statement in, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. Do you know the, the message Bible says the word became flesh and moved in the neighborhood? Imagine that. Jesus became the first missionary. Jesus, sitting up in heaven, being worshipped and adored. They had songs with one hook, holy, holy, holy is he. And they've taken off their crown angels and they're casting them at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus sees that we're in sin and unable to do anything about it. So he gets up off his throne, comes and dwells amongst sinful people. John 1:14 dwells amongst us. Goes through a cross that he created, gets slapped with a hand that he created, drinks water and breathes air that he created. Why? Because he modeled for you missionary work. And so now I get to reflect. Ordinary people get to reflect this idea of looking like Jesus. And I would say one of the primary ways you look like Jesus is when you live as a servant and a missionary as he did. But unfortunately, many of us, we want that moment where we can bring our friends to the church. And that's, thank you, thank you, that's great. But you know what's even greater? When you've shared your faith with them and they get plugged into some church that's next to them and they become disciples, because I think sometimes we think, as long as they come to Epiphany, as long as I'm filling up the seat, like praise God, but I, I'm so much more enamored when you get out and you're on mission, and I don't care where you go as long as you get plugged into a Jesus-loving Bible-based church. That's the goal. So as we move into a time of just kind of worship for a second, I want us to consider that this thing only works when all of us contribute as ordinary Imagine that. Imagine that, that God can empower you on your job. Imagine that, that God can empower you in the block that you live on and the building that you live in. Imagine that. Some of us are so afraid to talk about Jesus and so afraid to share our faith, so afraid to share our testimony, so afraid that, you know, because we don't want to be judged and we don't, we don't want them to think we're Bible thumpers. Why? Yeah, I, I want you to know that I love my Bible. I, I want your boy, but I want you to know. I love my body. I love Jesus. I'm, I'm not just doing this just to do it. And I certainly ain't doing it for money because I was making more when I wasn't doing this. I'm doing this because God calls ordinary people to ordinary places to do extraordinary things because they got an extraordinary gospel. Worship team, y'all come on up. Who is it in this room that is receiving that? I think we're all on the altar. So no altar call today, but I, I think we're all there. But who is it in this room that God is calling you to do more? He's calling you to be more. Some of us is as simple as us growing up. I'm serious. Bro, you still on John 3.16? I'm not trying to be funny. But there are some people that sit in the same spiritual place year after year after year. And at some point, there has to be some death. At some point, you got to move from milk to meat. Who is in this room that God is calling you to grow up? Who is it in this room that God is really pursuing you today and asking you who got saved because you shared your faith? I don't want to go. I, I, this is just me. I don't know about you. I, your, your testimony. I don't want to go to heaven 
and, and not be able to say, Lord, all these people here have come to the kingdom because I shared my faith with them. Maybe I planted, maybe I watered, but I shared my faith. That's just me. Who, who in this room, like, God is calling you to be a disciple maker? Who is it? Who is it in this room that God is calling you to take your life off a of pause? I know how we do, y'all. We, you know, y'all know my situation right now. I got, I got a lot going on. There is never a season where you stop being a Christian. There, you don't have a pause in your, in, your, in your relationship with the Lord. And only we do that. What if Jesus had a pause with us? What if he's like, you know, how they inter- now I'm in a different season right now. You know, I can't, you know. I got a new job. I got married. Like, oh, he do all this stuff. Empower me through all of that. Now, I might do things differently, but empower me no matter what, no matter what season, no matter what job, no matter if I get laid off, no matter if I'm in a relationship, no matter if I'm not in a relationship, no matter if I'm I just want to be used by you. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing, and then communion is going to come around, and we're going to take communion. Father, I... I really sense the need to pray in this room. There's somebody in this room that has been wrestling and they've been wrestling with this idea that they are called because it's so much easier and comfortable for us to point people to somebody else. It's so much easier. Sometimes we don't like, we don't like contention. We don't like to defend the faith. We don't like that. We don't like questions. We don't like feeling uncomfortable, but father help us to be uncomfortable for you. I think about how many times, oh God, in the book of Acts, that the disciples were scared and they prayed for boldness and you gave them it. Think about how the gospel flourished because regular people, ordinary people chose to be on mission. Father, I thank you. And we pray, oh God, today that as as we close this message, that you would open our hearts to receive and and, and to, to be on mission the way that you've called us to be. The regular person in this room is greater than John the Baptist. We could do more because the Spirit empowers us. And so, Father, I I pray that we would believe it. I pray that we would receive that and we'd be on mission for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.